And can you guys hear me okay? Okay, all right, well, let's get started. Um, The reading for today's sermon is pretty much the entire New Testament letter to Philemon. It's very short, it's only 24 verses, uh, but 21 of them are given for today's reading. So I'm going to read that in a minute, but I just want to uh, give you some background before we get into that so you kind of know what we're getting into. But uh, as some of you may know, most of the New Testament is just uh, mail, it's just correspondence, it's just things that have been written, things that were written to churches and to individuals back in the first century. And uh, most of it was written to be read and to be heard in church settings like ours. And so again, before I read the whole thing, just a little bit of background on the letter to Philemon so you kind of know what you're listening for. Um, Paul is the author of Philemon and he is writing from prison. And Paul spent some time in prison and he's writing uh, to this person named Philemon. Paul is sitting in prison in a city called Ephesus. And a hundred miles away, there's a city called Colossae. Here's a nice picture of Colossae. And uh, in Colossae is this person named Philemon. And he lives there. And Philemon was a convert to Christianity from uh, underneath Paul's leadership. And one of the things that Philemon is known for is that he hosted a church in his home. Most churches in the first century really for centuries beyond uh, the resurrection of Jesus took place uh, in homes. People who had homes large enough and were hospitable enough, they would host churches there. And that's where church services were held. And Philemon uh, hosted one of those. Uh, He was also a person of means. And as with almost all person of means in the first century in the Roman culture, Philemon also owned slaves. And one of his slaves, whose name is Onesimus, probably a given name, to his slave. It means useful. They would do this often. But one of his slaves slaves named Onesimus runs away. He escapes. And he makes his way to Ephesus, where Paul is in prison. He finds Paul, remarkably, somehow. We don't know how. He finds Paul, and while he's there, becomes a follower of Jesus. He becomes a Christian underneath Paul's uh, leadership. Now, here's the trick. Under Roman law, and Paul was a Roman citizen, uh, he needed to send Onesimus back to his owner. And so under, under the Roman law, he sends Onesimus back to Philemon, but he does so, uh, he sends him not empty-handed, but with this letter that we have. Now, when the compilers of all these ancient writings and letters were painstakingly and prayerfully considering which ones would be included into what we now call the New Testament, Philemon makes the cut, and it's our task to find out why. And that's my goal today. That's my hope as we look at this together. So if you have a Bible, Philemon, I would say chapter one, but there's no chapters. It's just a letter. So Philemon, period. Let me just read the whole thing to you, and, uh, and then we'll pray and get into this. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, Philemon's wife, our sister, and Archippus, his son, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, 
because of the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. I don't know if you're picking up on this, but Paul's really screwing down. He's really like, you're so awesome, Philemon. There's no one greater than you. Verse eight, accordingly, which means that was all to get here. Though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, say that, for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I have become in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this is perhaps why he was parted for you for for a while, that you might have him back forever no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner again, if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account as if Paul has an account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. That's my favorite line in the letter. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for... um, the preservation of such a letter that we have, that we can read and listen to and get a a picture of what it was like to navigate the difficulties of society in the ancient world and what your love looks like in such a place and how we might apply that to our own lives today. It's in your name that we pray and everyone said. Now, the first part of the letter is pretty standard in terms of ancient Greco-Roman letters, it's textbook. There's a greeting, there's some name dropping, and then there's a thanksgiving. The thanksgiving is this, I thank my God for you every time I think of you and pray for you. So it's fairly standard. But when we pick up the body of the letter, it gets interesting. Paul makes an appeal on behalf of Onesimus. Receive him not as a slave, he says. He's sending Onesimus back, and he's saying, don't take him as a slave, but take him as a brother. Verses 15 and 16 again, for this is perhaps why he was parted for you for a while. Paul truly believed, deeply believed that things, that God was always working behind the scenes and through circumstances, was never absent from whatever was going on. And for whatever reason, Onesimus decided just to jam. Paul really believed that there's a purpose, that God was not absent in the escaping, and God was not even absent in the enslavement, that God was working. And so Paul inserts that belief here for perhaps this is why he has been gone for you 
for a while that you might have him back forever. And again, no longer as a bondservant, no longer as a slave, but as a brother. Now, slavery in the ancient Roman world was such a normalized and accepted part of the social structure that no one would think anything of it. No one would imagine a world without it. If I just got up here today and said, here's what I need you to do. We all know that automobiles are bad for the earth. So I need you to stop using them today. You know that's right. But the realist in you is like, that's going to take a few weeks to transition off of that. (laughs) Are you with me on that? A very normalized and accepted part of the social structure that no one could picture a world without it. And no slave owner would have ever been able to imagine forgiving a slave who had run away. It was a capital offense in the Roman world. But Paul wasn't asking Philemon to forgive. He's asking for something far more radical, to release him from slavery altogether and to call him a brother. Kids are having fun downstairs. Can you hear that? Um, It wouldn't take long within ancient Christianity, not long at all, within the world of ancient Christianity for the thought, just the thought of owning a person to become repulsive and incongruent with the ways of Jesus. The Bible, it's true, never uh, up front condemns slavery. It doesn't. But it wouldn't take long for ancient Christianity to say, that's wrong. And this movement would begin early in the Jesus movement. It wouldn't take years and years and years. It would just, the incongruency of people as property and the ways of Jesus became very clear quite quickly. And Paul's ask here may in fact be, if not the earliest, one of the earliest mandates to abandon such a practice on the grounds that we don't do things like this in the community of Jesus. Now he would write in another letter to the Colossians, same church perhaps, in chapter three, verse 11, he says, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free. And I love this last line, but Christ is all and what? In all. That's beautiful. This is a radical idea that social structures no longer play a role in the community of Jesus. That Christ is all and in all. And so Paul was proposing to Philemon a new way to live in the old world. Not by obligation to the laws of the land, but by love. That's what he said. I appeal to you, not by command, but by love. And this is a strong push towards a new way to be human and towards a new kind of humanity where each of us relates to the other, not on the grounds of our pasts, or our socially assigned values, but on the grounds of blood and family as brothers and sisters. I get emails from pastors often uh, 
And I always chuckle when they call me brother. It just sounds funny to me. But it's very biblical. It's very theological that I am your brother and that you are mine, that you are my sister, that we are family, not in a culty sense, but that we regard each other as family. Amen? Uh, Mickey and I, my wife, uh, we like to play this game called running to or from. (laughs) It works great in the city. Uh, We're just out walking or in the car and we see someone running and I will start the game and say, running to or from. Some some things are obvious, you know, 25-year-old carrying a girl's pink bike running. He's running from. (laughs) Are you with me? You know how to play the game. You can do this today. It's not hard. Uh, If they're in running shorts, headphones, they're running to, you know, they're running for something. Running to or from. I think at different places in our lives, we all are running from something. And I want you to listen closely because uh, this is true for all of us. All of us at some point are running from something. Our pasts, uh, our mistakes. Anybody run from their mistakes? Of course you do. Our families. For some of you, your beliefs. For most of us, at times, our responsibilities. Some of us run from our pain. I think we all kind of run from our pain. Our fears. I'm a person of anxiety. Me and fear, we're always in a race. Always. Anybody else? You don't want to admit that. You're afraid. (laughs) All of us run at certain times in our lives from something or someone or someone's. I think the nature of universities and cities and churches are that they are all filled with runaways. I don't mean that runaways don't exist in other places, but there's a high concentration in universities and in cities and in churches. So for our church, we have the trifecta. People on the run from a former life in search of something new, hoping to find grace and peace and hope in the arms of someone or some group or some church. And sometimes it's good to run away and find something better, something healthier. I think it's okay to run from toxicity. If you're in a toxic relationship or a toxic work environment, run, my friend, get out. There's nothing in the Bible that says, You should stay there and be abused. It's good to run from abuse, emotional, physical. It's good to move on. Or if you're being taken advantage of in in your places of work or in your relationships, it's okay. Or even like in a more simpler uh, realm, if you just feel out of sync with your passions and your callings, it's okay. It's okay to run towards something better and healthier. But you already know this, especially if you've been through counseling. When you and I run, we don't entirely escape all the things that have brought pain and sorrow into our lives. Or all the bad jobs, 
or relationships that we've been through. Those experiences stay with us in some way. They've shaped us and we carry them into every new place, every new relationship, every new job, and every new church. We're all runaways, each of us, if we're honest, could provide a list of things we hope we never have to deal with again. Decisions that we would never make again. People that we would never trust again, amen? Most of us would prefer to hide those fears and to remain presentable in the world. But in this letter that Paul writes to his friend and brother Philemon, he challenges the church to be a place where runaways can find the grace and the hope and the peace that they need. If you were listening closely at the beginning of the letter, Paul says he's writing to Philemon, to his wife, to their son, and then he closes that section with, and to the church in your house. That this was meant to be heard and read and obeyed, not just by Philemon, but everybody. In verse 12, he says, I'm sending him back to you. I'm sending him back to you. Paul had received Onesimus in grace and in peace and had given him hope. And he was taking a, a risk by assuming and hoping that Onesimus's home church would do the same. It's a big risk. Philemon has every legal right to do the worst thing. But Paul is saying, I need you to go back, take this letter, trust me. Philemon's scared of me. He'll do what he says. But I want you to see something Paul does here. In verses 17 and 18, let me read this again. So if you consider me your partner, that word for partner is the word koinonia. It's where we get the word fellowship, community from. If you consider me as a part of your family, receive him as you would receive me. And if he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. What I want you to see here is that Paul, and he does this often, Paul assumes the part of Jesus. He places himself between Philemon and Onesimus as a mediator. And he plays the part of redeemer and reconciler of the two. And don't miss that part. If he owes you anything, charge it to my account. Theologian Alan Callahan said, Paul offers to subsidize justice because without justice, there is no peace. And without peace between brethren, there can be no ministry. And so Paul plays the role of the redeemer in the story. He puts himself between both parties who feel sinned against and betrayed. And Paul simply takes on the cost of what's been done. And Paul knew this letter would be read to the entire church that met in Philemon's house. So Paul was not just teaching Philemon something, but everyone. In the 25 years of pastoring that are behind me at this point, uh, many of the people I meet and get to know are running away from something, hoping to find grace and hope and peace in the arms of a church. If you get our newsletter and you listen to our um, latest audio update podcast, 
I love making those eight minutes of great, a great eight minutes of fun. Um, but I said something in the most recent one, and I'll just repeat it here in some form. Um, our leaders, our staff, those who are really involved here, um, we are fully expecting and planning on growth in the coming weeks and months as we move further and further into the fall season. We recognize that that is a reality. It's one of the reasons we moved and bought a building. We were maxed out in a small venue downtown. I look at old pictures of that place and it used to be so big to me. But I was looking at pictures the other day and it was like, pretty scanty when I look at it. Lindsay just opened a new elementary school room today. It's the whole fellowship hall size room on the right. We put all the elementary in there. And I was standing in there this morning with her and I said, this accounted for maybe three rooms and the check-in downtown. It's crazy. It's exciting. It's also scary because we know that as people come in, that many of them, and maybe for a season, all of them will be people who are, whether they would admit it or not, running away. But we are expecting that and we are planning for that. And when I read a letter like this, it reminds me that, and Paul is reminding us, that we play those same roles. We play the roles of Paul and Philemon. That we play the role of receiving people, but also sending a changed people. And it's important for us as we grow to learn about the lives of the people around us, to listen to their stories and to pay very close attention to their journeys and to ask God for the wisdom and the creativity to show the grace and the hope and the peace of Christ, the peace of Jesus, who once said these words, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you what? Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. What a great tagline for a church. You will find rest for your souls. Amen. Let us be that kind of place.